Sudden Impact takes the Dirty Harry franchise into the 1980s, and the titular character out of the city for a gritty, small-town revenge plot. Also, Harry's new partner is a dog, named Meathead. Welcome everyone to the Collector's Cut, I am Peter, and joining me as always is David. Go ahead, make my day. Yeah, I was genuinely curious if you're going to pick that, which is by far the famous line from of this course, movie, yeah. uh, or if you were just going to say swell, because it says swell a lot in this one. Yeah, I feel like he always has a word, because I commented last movie that I thought the word was going to be marvelous, and I was mm. like, that's mm. that's too short. It's too much of nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, honestly, one of the weirdest things about watching this franchise for the first time back in like high school when I first saw it is mm. that I couldn't believe that the second most famous, because the first famous speech is obviously the first movie the you know the right. fire five shots of six i've lost count you know do you feel lucky punk uh mm. i i had always assumed before that because i'd always also heard go ahead make my day i thought oh that must also be in dirty harry and i was shocked that it wasn't yeah. in the first movie and i was even more surprised when i didn't even hear it until the fourth movie <laughs> which is what we're going to talk about today which is sudden impact Honestly, just to follow up on that, I completely forgot it was even a Dirty Harry line. Oh, like, yeah. I thought I thought for sure. I was like, as soon as it didn't show up in the first one, I'm like, oh, it's just Clint Eastwood in one of the other times he's a cop sure. in the 70s. Yeah, but yeah. no, turns out he's a cop in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into uh, all, all this stuff. Um, so yeah, premise of Collector's Cut is that we work through franchises or batches of movies that are associated by a theme. Could be an actor, director, whatever. Obviously, this is the Dirty Harry franchise. This is the fourth movie in the Dirty Harry franchise. It is Sudden Impact, which came out in 1983, uh, which is about, what, six years after the last movie? Six or seven, yeah. yeah. They took a long break in between the trilogy to the tetralogy. What's, what's interesting about that is I think, uh, first of all, I noticed a bigger gap in the age for eastwood in this oh, like yeah as soon as he shows up i'm like oh yeah you're a man in your mid-50s now versus the, your mid-40s the first time he shows up in this movie he's wearing what i can only describe as the stereotypical like grandpa sunglasses <laughs> and i was like oh no someone let him out of the home <laughs> joe's so funny though is i had that thought oh he looks older here and then i went it's been 30 plus years since this movie came out and he's still kicking and making movies. Because yeah. like, he's, no. he's in his 90s now. He's, he's an old dude. Um, yeah, no, I, I genuinely... He made some sort of pact with the devil somewhere yeah. through. So, I mean, power to him that he's, he's still going strong uh, mm -hmm. at this age. But he... You know, you know his birthday's uh, 1930. You know, yep. so he's... You know, he's, he's, he's easy to work out his age. He's, he's 53 when this came out. Uh, so... Which is not really a critique, because unlike today, where you've got like 70-year-old Sylvester Stallone still being Rambo, and it just feels a bit silly, and he can yeah. barely run, or, or Harrison Ford running around as various characters, at least, <laughs> you know, 53 is still a working age. Like, he'd still be working this, this job at that age. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's fine. It's, there's nothing wrong with yeah. it. But it's just, it's just like sort of noticing the jump from the last movie. It's like, oh, he's aged a bit. Yeah, I mean, there was just a noticeable jump in everything with this oh, movie. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. We moved away from everything that was 70s and just jumped right into 80s. Oh, yeah, even the music over the opening, because the opening is like, mm -hmm. uh, it's actually very similar to the last movie, because the opening to the last movie for the titles was uh, a helicopter shot of San Francisco. This was kind of the same thing, the only difference being it was now nighttime. <laughs> for the, yeah, for the it was adult. nighttime and there was synth playing instead of jazzy sax. It was still quite jazzy, though, but it was like an 80s jazzy. 
You know, it was yeah. like, it still had that kind of funkiness to it, but it was more of an it 80s funk. It had the funk. drum machine and the yep. keyboards and stuff instead of just straight saxophone trumpet. Yeah, so we, we definitely shifted uh, to, to a new style. Uh, I'd say visually it's got a different style. Although, funnily enough, I wouldn't say it's got an 80s visual style. I would say that this is actually just a different style of 70s movie, but it does feel different to the last couple, for sure. Yeah, it definitely, like, it was... There was a lot of stuff that reminded me of... And I know this is in itself 2000s, but a lot of stuff that reminded me of Kill Bill, which, of course, was reaching back to, like, those 70s sort of yeah. things. I think um, I, what I was getting from it, and this is partly from the plot as well, which we'll get into later, is mm-hmm. uh, it kind of felt like... Because uh, Eastwood directed this. This is the first one of the franchise yes. that he's directed. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of felt like he'd watched a few Brian De Palma films and wanted to do a Brian yeah. De Palma-esque plot and style, and I was getting that from a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, when I say Kill Bill, it's really only one thing specifically, and then just the general tone of mm. revenge plot. Yeah, yeah, we got yeah we got revenge plot. Um, so the plot is a bit different. I mean, I, I guess you know if I, if I get some positives up front, mm-hmm. is that I would say compared to the Enforcer, this one is definitely because the four one of the big complaints about the Enforcer was that it felt like the villains were an afterthought and it was barely focusing on it. I would say right. that here. You know, regardless of what the the quality of the rating is, or what we're going to say about the villains, and it does fo- it does feel like it's the focus of the movie, like the the, the focus of the villain and the murders. It feels like it's it's yeah. sticking to that story. It does have some random Harry things happening occasionally, but it does feel like that's the main point of the movie, and it's always focusing on that. So you know, that's a that's a positive compared to the last yeah, one. Yeah, this for is, sure. this this really is the villains movie with Harry just occasionally intersecting mm-hmm. with them. There's like maybe three or four scenes I could really point to throughout the whole thing that are like, and Harry directly influenced this plot point. Yeah. Whereas yeah. everything else is just the villains and the revenge seeker. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting. It does make it feel very different. It almost feels like Harry walked out. It's particularly because uh, most of the plot is set outside San Francisco. He goes to San Paulo uh, yes, at some San point. Paul. And I actually checked the moment of the runtime where that decision's made because it was much further in than I was expecting. It was mm-hmm. 45 minutes into the two-hour movie. So I'll talk about pacing, because obviously we talked about pacing a lot in the last oh, yeah. movie. Here mm-hmm. is the complete opposite. Here it's bloated and there's tons of things I'd cut out. It's the complete opposite of the last yep. one. But it yeah. is like Harry walks out of his own franchise at the 45-minute mark and walks into some other person's franchise. With You know, it just sort of spends the rest of the movie there. It's, it's a little weird in, oh, in yeah. that sense. I mean, the, as soon as you make that transition to, like, the small town, it immediately just takes on a completely different tone mm-hmm. in, like, everything that was going on. And I feel like, to some extent, it was intentional the whole way through. But at the same time, it's... I don't know. I feel like it was more so out of, hey, it's, like, really hard to film in busy San Francisco, so maybe let's just put it over there. Yeah, yeah, maybe it was an economic choice. I'd like to think it was made out of like, oh, well, well you know, the, the the last two movies, uh, you know, progressively have felt worse because they're trying to just copy the stuff than the first movie. Maybe right. this was maybe a conscious attempt to like, oh, let's do something different. Let's make it feel a little different. Let's do. Yeah, and I mean, if they were going for it being different, they got it. It's just a question, as we will cover, whether or not <laughs> it worked. That's, I mean, that's a different question, but at least mm-hmm. there's an attempt to do some things differently. Yeah. Uh, which you know so those are the positives it does try to mm-hmm. shake up the formula to an extent and it does at least focus on what this plot is and feels like it has a plot <laughs> as opposed to yeah. the last movie 
which yeah. is a good thing. <laughs> now, does that necessarily mean that these things that it does are good? That's another question. Yeah. We'll get into it. Obviously, we're going to start spoiler-free here. We're not going to talk about any late spoilers or anything until we give you the warning. So don't worry about that. Um, yeah, I, I guess it's time to ask the question. David, what did you think of Sudden Impact? Uh, what did I think? Um, I think that I enjoy the plot. I enjoy the overarching ideas they have. What this really felt like to me, to make a bit of a stretch of a comparison, but what it felt like to me is when you've gone past, I don't know, two seasons, three seasons in like mm. a TV show, you've finished that initial plot that the showrunners had in mind when they started doing it. And so then they bring it back, but they they move in a direction of like, oh, here's a new location and a new character, and we're just taking this brand new leap. It doesn't feel connected to any of the previous Dirty Harry films, which has always been an issue we've been having of them constantly ignoring previous films. But this one doesn't feel connected on, like, a base level. It feels that you've picked up this character of Harry Callahan out of the world that we knew in the first three movies and have completed it, completely put him into this totally separate world where the, everything's just slightly different. So I do I like it? I'd say I like the attempts it made and I like the plot itself. But do I like it in terms of being a Dirty Harry film? A little bit less or so. Hmm. I, I think objectively it is a better movie than The Enforcer. Mm, oh, that's not... Yeah. Yeah. Objectively. But I don't know if when we get to the end of this review if my rating's going to be that much higher because ultimately it is bloated. Uh, mm. There is tons of things that feel redundant that I would cut out. Uh, while it starts off feeling like it's going to be a much more serious and dark movie, there's still like odd moments of like comedy like sprinkled in as well. Uh, yeah. Which we'll, which we'll get to. There's... <laughs> There's just there's just a lot of things that just feel like it's been bogged down, and I like I do think you could improve the pacing certainly, uh, without even shooting or rewriting anything, just by like going into the editor's room and just cutting some chunks out. Um, an example I would give is that a big thing that's set up in the movie, and we'll get into the specifics because we definitely want to talk about how this starts mm. off. But Harry's like under like constant like uh assassination attempts because he's he's pissed off the mob and mm. there's this weird thing where he there's an attempt made in his life and like his superiors are like you know what well this is happening you should take some time off and then eventually at the 45 minute mark they say okay you know what since you're never going to take time off how about i give you this assignment to go and research this murder because it's got connections to this smaller town you know elsewhere in california go there keep you know right. where the heat's not on you and you can go and investigate this crime what boggles my mind about that is that that happens after like a second assassination attempt that's unrelated yeah. to the first assassination attempt and all i could think was you could just completely cut the second one out the second one is like doesn't isn't needed at all <laughs> i i i as soon as that second one started because here's the thing they start by saying hey you need to take a break and then he has an assassination attempt he gets pulled into the office. They say, hey, we told you needed to take a break. And he said, I didn't even go out looking for that. And they said, okay. 
And right then they should have said, well, we're going to send you over to this other town. Mm -hmm. But yes. instead they decided to do the entire first 15 pages again <laughs> of you need to go on a break. He tries to take a break. It comes after him. And then they say, wow, you really can't take a break, yeah. can you? Other than the one scene where he goes to the, the, the murder scene of that's tied to the main plot, every single mm. scene with Harry in the first 45 minutes is just random Harry stuff <laughs> until yeah. he joins the main plot 45 minutes in. Honestly, it I, <clears throat> thinking about it now, I'm having to look down at my notes constantly here because I am genuinely having a hard time in those first 45 minutes separating in my mind what was Enforcer and what was this? <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, like that scene in the beginning when he drove into the liquor store. I'm like, wait, no, that's not it. That's Enforcer, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Enforcer. Yeah. So it's like, that's it, the entire first 45 minutes just this random collection of Harry Callahan just going about town, getting into trouble, and then, like you said, at the 45-minute mark, he's just put into a different place entirely. Yeah. And, and then, the plot completely kickstarts from there. And it was funny is that I, I kind of appreciate that when he does move to the small town, he's got a bit of a reputation and the police captain, who happens to be played by Pat Hengel, who's Commissioner Gordon in the Tim Burton yeah. Batman movies, which is not something I want to think about. So, you know, maybe that put me <laughs> off in the wrong foot right <laughs> Not away. even the first one? Uh, like, I can appreciate some stylistic elements, but I'm not a big fan of those uh, interpretations of the character. Fair enough. Uh, and I, I like I hate Returns. Like I, I will happily take forever in Batman and Robin over Returns any day of the week. I hate, freaking hate that movie. Anyway, so okay, I'm just, I'm not a Tim Burton fan, guys. Okay, that's just this. I'm just this is a taste thing. I just don't like Tim Burton. Anyway, so we do basically a very tropey thing here, which is the outsider cop who's not wanted by the local police department and constantly say, hey, you know, go home, get out, this is not your jurisdiction, go away, blah, 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 blah. Um, actually, the thing that made me think of a lot, and what's funny is that this was actually, I think, a year before this movie came out, is that, obviously, very different tone, very different character, but it was hard not to think a little bit about Beverly Hills Cop uh, with this kind of sentiment of, like, he's out of town, coming into this yeah. other place, um and the you know the, the locals don't want him there but he's like try and investigate the crime anyway <laughs> right he's harry you know like there's there's all this going on uh but yeah, i was getting a lot of that see. from like the vibes of like just him intermingling with the police department and the, the way the captain wanted nothing to do with him um there was that uh so i mean the movie kind of breaks down into like you know like there's the actual setup for the main plot that's separate from harry in the first 45 minutes there's all the harry stuff in the first 45 minutes and mm -hmm. then you've got, okay, then the back half of the movie or so, which is actually Harry in the town investigating things and the plot that's playing out. I mean, I yeah. appreciate that they went this route where, you know, without getting too specific for spoiler's sake, unlike there's a vicious killer that we're hunting because they're dangerous, we've got a, a revenge-style killer where, you know, regardless of what the outcome might be by the end, it is a more sympathetic character to the audience and there's the victims right. of the actual, like, awful people um that, that's kind of an interesting different thing to do with it um yeah i mean i think that it fits perfect we've never really had a problem of the theme that the movie is going for mm -hmm. is something that it seems like harry should have to deal with based off of yeah. his first appearance and his first appearance it's laid down a very black and white view of this is right this is wrong and everything since that first movie is something that just tests that it's something that pushes against, okay, but what about this situation? 
And having the victim of a crime get revenge for the crime is a perfect thing of, okay, Harry, is that all right? Is Especially that okay? in the context of justice failed the victims here. Right, exactly. Right? And yeah, so, you know, like, I think that is very true that it does kind of fit Harry is a moral dilemma. Um, mm. I would say this one feels the least, though, out of the four so far. Like, I mean, not, well, maybe I shouldn't say four. I should not count the first, because the first one is the first one, and it just right. is what it is. But out of the mm. sequels, I'd say that this one kind of feels like it's the least connected to it. And maybe it's because Harry himself is so disconnected from the plot until, like, the last ten minutes where yeah. he actually gets involved. Because there's a moment right at the very, very, very end where you know, he makes a choice, and it feels like, okay, this is coming back into Harry dealing with this dilemma. But he... He's so disconnected from the actual ongoing or even like being aware that maybe the the person perpetrating this is someone he might want to sympathize with that mm. it's never really it never really feels like it's part of the movie until the very very tail end so at least the enforcer for all its faults immediately at the start he's got a female partner and how does Harry feel about that okay right. it's at least it's baked into so many scenes in the movie that it feels like it's a constant question in the movie so to yeah. give Enforcer a slight positive versus this one, <laughs> this one feels like Harry's just doing a lot of fish out of water stuff, <laughs> basically. Yeah. In the small no, time, I mean, it's not even it's not even really fish out of water stuff because fish out of water stuff would imply like, oh, he is trying to like hail a cab, but the town doesn't have cabs because oh, sure, they're so yeah. small. Like it's just doing things where he's just trying to do his job, and literally everyone in the town just dislikes him being there. Yes. Um, um I, I but yeah, to to add on real quick, there was one other scene in there where I felt like they danced with the theme, and that mm. was the dinner scene. Um, when like they're sitting there talking, the the person looking for revenge and Harry are basically just sitting there talking about. Oh, okay. I was, uh, they're, just having, they're just having drinks. I was trying to like what dinner scene. I don't remember a oh, dinner yeah. scene. <laughs> Sorry, they're at a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they just have drinks. Yeah. yeah. Um. So it is just a moment of them talking basically about like oh well i believe in this style of justice and harry's like so do i <laughs> wow yeah although he does he does say unless it's breaking the law you know there's right. kind of a line there but harry mm -hmm. you're kind of guilty of breaking the law left right and center yourself Quite literally the first thing he does in this movie is a judge chewing him out for breaking the law. Which I did think was funny, the opening scenes, him being late to court, and then the person he arrested gets let away because Harry arrested them with, you know, with breaking, like, you know, you didn't enter the premises with due cause. Yeah. You, you, you... you didn't have probable cause. You came in. <laughs> None of that evidence is admissible. Mind you, quick note on that court scene. The judge would never say any of that. That's the prosecutor, and the judge would just say, agreed, uh, and sure, then slam yeah. the gavel. But, but I do yeah. love the idea that this judge is like, Again with you, Callahan. Every time you come, <laughs> one of your perps is out of my court. I have to let them go, even even if I personally think they're guilty as shit. I can't do anything about it because you have broken all of the rules. Yeah. Um, and this scene, it's a funny little introduction, but it's also something that I would cut because it really just exists to set up his second assassination attempt, which is yeah. completely redundant. So I would, I would lose it. I mean, I can't think of any decent way to have harry enter the plot in this movie based off the scenes we were presented no like at no point does he really come in and do anything big I, 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 I guess thing. you just start with them going for his coffee we'll get into that scene in spoilers but yeah mm -hmm. uh where he stumbles onto something happening would you believe it there's a crime oh happening. my gosh 
And while there's something in his mouth as well, that's where they really felt faltered. That's it, though. We'll talk again. We'll talk about it more later. But Mm. I did laugh my ass off that as soon as he arrives in San Paolo, he literally drives into town for the first time and he hears an alarm in the distance, and he's like, "Oh, my police work is needed. Oh, I'll have to do so," and he immediately gets involved in a robbery. (laughs) Like I, I have to imagine that it's just like an aura that harry has like as soon as he was driving into town everyone just went like full purge mode where they're like oh geez crime just so funny about it to me is that there's a couple of moments later in the movie where i I think like his captain i actually thought the captain from the last movie came back because the actor looks so similar but i checked Mm -hmm. it's not him Uh, i thought it was captain mckay from or mckay from the last movie but he's just a really similar looking guy with the same mustache but I think he and both the police captain and San Paolo later on both say this something to the effect of wherever you go, like people tend to die or bad things happen. Right. And I'm like, usually that's a line in a movie that's like, oh, it's just the captain tuning out the bill. Like at this point, four movies, like, no, they're right. Everywhere he goes, things are just happening. <laughs> when we're done with this franchise, yeah. I'm going to look up the body count <laughs> that is directly related to Harry because it has to be at least double digits. Oh, easily. Absolutely. Easily. There's not even a, a doubt in my mind. Um, yeah, it's like, I appreciate the different tactics this one takes, but it does kind of feel like it's not really a Dirty Harry movie to a certain point. And I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I, maybe it's a small town. Maybe maybe we just, maybe we didn't realize how much of San Francisco and like him being in the city was part of the, the Dirty Harry thing. I don't know. I mean, for me personally, it just comes down to the lack of Harry because a lot of the previous movies were following him around just doing things like in um, uh, blanking on the second one, Magnum Force. Yeah. In Magnum Force, like we just had scenes of him walking around, like taking shots with his gun, (laughs) like doing that. It furthered the plot. Don't get me wrong. It's not just character development scenes, but he it was still following Harry during these scenes. I guess it's kind of a weird thing. While this movie, I I said, does feel like it's focusing on its plot, and it, it does make it feel like it's the, the it, you know it's the central reason we're here. It's the point of the mm-hmm. movie, which is what a plot should feel like. Um, yeah. Maybe there's still a critique to be made that Harry himself feels disconnected from it, so he he feels like he's less important in the movie, and mm-hmm. he's kind of like it's kind of more like a western or or even a there's a movie I want to compare. It to. Oh yeah, like. Kind of like how Mad Max Fury Road, like the whole idea of the, like Mad Max movies after mm. the first one is like, no, like Max kind of travels into a, a situation and ends up being this kind of wandering hero who helps him solve it. That's right. kind of more what this movie is versus the you know the, the previous Dirty Harry yeah. movies. And again, that's why I'm saying I like the plot, the actual story itself. I I enjoy the mostly entire way through. Um, bloated it may be, but. In terms of it being a dirty Harry movie, it's more of a movie that happens well, to feature dirty Harry. I think you said there's a lack of Harry. I would dispute that and say that screen time wise, there probably isn't. But I think okay, no, no, not, no, yeah. let me let me finish this thought. No, because, I know what you're saying. Yeah, but it's telling that everything I would cut out of this movie are all dirty Harry scenes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's a lack of Harry tied to the plot. Yes, but there is a quite a bit of Harry where he is just doing things, but absolutely none of it matters and i'm just we'll get to it in spoilers but i cannot think of a single possible reason that 
there is Meathead in this film. Meathead's a dog, I think. Meathead is yeah. his dog. He has a dog. He has a dog partner now. <laughs> I don't get it. That's what? the part that as soon, as soon as that was introduced into the movie, I just I started to take a note of just like there's a dog now. And I'm like, I feel like I'm not going to be able to forget that there's a dog. Felt, I feel like that's going to be a constant thing. That felt very tonally different to the rest of the movie up until that point as well. But I think, Oh, absolutely. But all of this feels like a patchwork, or not patchwork, it feels like... Um, like, they realize they're, when they're writing the movie, oh, the plot's not really about Harry. We need more Harry. So they just came up with a lot of Harry things to interject the movie with. But all it does is hurt the pacing and feels yeah. tacked on to have enough of Harry to justify it being a Dirty Harry movie. It's kind of weird. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't think they would ever do this, but I, I almost wonder, like, would it be more ballsy to do, like, a, a twist thing where you release this movie called Sudden Impact, you don't tell anyone it's a Dirty Harry movie, you have it just be this, you know, this character getting revenge, mm. and he shows up halfway through. He shows up like, the forty-five minute yeah. mark. Like uh, says, nope. Well, it would be forty-five minutes if all his early scenes are cut. It would be <laughs> much earlier. But <laughs> he shows up two minutes into the film. <laughs> but you know, like you have maybe even less of him in the small town because even stuff in the small town, it's it's him walking the dog. It's him getting mm. into random things. You know, like even his investigation of the crime just feels like. Oh, he goes to talk to someone who doesn't want to talk to him, so he gets rough with him. Okay, that's the scene. You know, yeah. like, there's a, a lot of that Which ends shit. up in yet another assassination attempt. Like, <laughs> everything he does... Every, everyone wants to kill Harry in this movie. There's, there's at yeah. least three separate parties who try to assassinate Harry over the course of this movie. And only one of them is related to the main plot. <laughs> yeah. And I would argue at this point, God himself is on that list. <laughs> So I think with all that said, we'll say spoilers mm. then for Sudden Impact so we can start talking about everything that's yes. in the movie. Uh, mm. I think we'll save the main plot because I think we'll talk about all the early main plot stuff tied with sure. the main plot in the, the back half of the movie. I think we mm. just start with Harry's adventures for the first 45 <laughs> minutes of Sudden Impact. The short film of a man in his early 50s just driving around San Francisco yeah. looking for trouble. I mean, the the first scene we kind of already covered, there's not really much more to say about it. He's late for court. Uh, he, do, he does sort of, like, threaten the guy, because the guy's acting kind of cocky in the elevator when they all leave. Right. Like, oh, I, you know, I get off, Harry. Me, 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 me. Uh, <laughs> and there's not much to it. Yeah. The, the scene I want to talk about is, so, Harry goes for his coffee. It's a small diner. It's a small diner. Yeah. He walks in, he, he asks for his coffee, and he's looking at his paper. And you'll notice something's weird in this scene. The, 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 the waitress at the diner is... Like, just, she goes to pour sugar into his coffee, and she's just, like, standing there, like, pouring for, like, an absurd amount of time that no one notices. I mean, everyone notices, except, except Harry. for Harry. Yeah. Um, he's just pouring this, she's pouring this absurd amount of sugar in, and everyone's just sort of sitting very quietly, and you get the, you get the feeling mm. something's not quite right here. And he walks out, and he takes a sip of his uh, coffee, and he's like, ugh, what's, what's going on here? Because even if you like sugar in your coffee, this would be like ridiculous yeah. this They're... is this is just coffee flavored sugar at this point i'll be honest at a certain point i'm like it w how much sugar do you have to pour before the coffee starts like overflowing the cup because there's just so much sugar they in definitely the passed that point. yeah like this was i i we cannot overstate how long it just held on cutting between reaction shots 
of watching this woman pour sugar. We have, we have to do like a Mythbusters like segment or something with just to get a, get a cup of coffee, get the sugar, and just see. I will gladly do that like right after this. I will time it. I will I will record it and I will send it your way. <laughs> and match the time of the movie, like the pouring time. So get the movie up and yeah, I can do it. Same, but exactly. Anyway, I will get the same size cup. <laughs> Well, we just had to know. So we're, this is after we've recorded the show. We're just we're just inserting this. David's got a cup ready. He's filled it with. Uh... I have a separate container of salt that matches the same flowing rate that it otherwise yes. would. Uh, did you put coffee in or just water? There's nothing. I just want to see if it's going to overflow at all. Okay. Okay. So we'll just see if even the the cup can hold the. Yep. The all right. All right here we go. All right. Just all hold right. it up a little so bit. I need... I need you to time out 25 seconds, oh, which I is could... how long the scene lasted in the movie. Yep, hold on. I can uh, do that. I'll just... Uh... All right, I'm just going to count you in. Three, two, one. Okay. All right. Here we go. All right. Three, two, one, go. It's pretty pretty much what it was in the show. Right yeah. In the movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not even convinced there's going to be any salt left in that uh, at the end. I mean, if we run out of salt, then we're also going to call it, because this yeah. thing is, like, full. 15 seconds just passed. Okay. 20 seconds. Okay. Almost at the top. Three, two, one, done. Okay, so this is nearly empty, <laughs> and this is, like, <laughs> right at the brim. Just this I, is absolutely full. I angle it a little bit, just so they can see... Uh... Yep. Yeah, there you go. So you can see the hump. There's the look at that. That, that is, is absolutely full. <laughs> there is no way that would have been. You know, it turns around and like all the signs have switched to closed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which so it turns out what's happening here is that there's actually like a gang of four guys who are robbing this diner, which you know it doesn't seem like a particularly well-off diner. It's just a small diner. It's, it's a bit yeah. of a weird target. I guess it's because they're small-time crooks and they don't want to do anything bigger. But yeah. Why don't there's, there's lots of parts here that I don't get. So so she's doing this intentionally to you know tip off Harry that something's wrong because mm-hmm. he's been coming here for decades. He always gets just a plain black coffee, which yep. which is why it's weird he doesn't look up when he's looking at his paper. I'm like, why do you think your coffee's taking so long to prepare? It's plain black coffee. Like it's once she pours it, it's done. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I not to not to jump too far, but like as he comes back in and he sees this robbery is going because he was just coming back to complain about the coffee being wrong he says like oh i always get a plain black coffee today i got a plain black black coffee with sugar i'm like that's not a black coffee as soon as you add the sugar you've moved away also, from black coffee also it's not you didn't get a spoonful of sugar you got a, a c yeah. you you got like a tony montana's like cocaine supply levels of sugar in this thing <laughs> i mean it Okay, I don't want to stay on it, but yes. So he got a lot of sugar. <laughs> he got a lot of sugar. <laughs> anyway, so he comes up. So I'm like, you know, as soon as the the bad guys like you know jump up with their guns and like, and they say something like, "Oh, you did great with that cop. Now give us the money." And I'm like, mm-hmm. wait, what was the setup before Harry walked into this? Where like, did 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 she go? Oh, like Harry Callahan always comes in at 10 a.m. He's about to arrive. Like, and like, well, we're just going to have to pretend that everything's okay then. And like, also, like, I mean, yeah, that's the only thing I can think of that makes any sense. As of they started to hold up the place, and then the woman behind the counter says, "Like, you guys picked the wrong time. Here comes that cop about to walk into the shop." And he's just like, 
thanks for the heads up. Nobody make a sound. So yeah, Harry like appears at the back entrance, and he just sort of stands there with his cup and you know gives the speech about the coffee. Um, mm. And then, of course, he pulls out his magnum. And without any regard for any hostages or innocent <laughs> people that might be in the scene, he just starts blasting. You know, yep. Dirty Harry, he is that he is that Frank Klein from It's Always Sunny. So anyway, I started blasting. Start blasting yeah. that, that is Harry in a nutshell. <laughs> and there's so many moments where, like, innocent people are diving out the way of gunfire. I'm like, Harry, like, if any of these people get shot, it's on you. Because you just started firing. You didn't even... You know. Yeah, no, but like at the same point, he's stopping. Like the constant thing that he yeah. keeps on doing is like, I did it so something worse wouldn't happen. No, like I get that, and I also get that he. No, but I disagree with him. I get his point, but oh, I, yeah. I'm like, no. But at a certain point, stop. Well, no, this is the thing. See, if it was one guy with a gun, I would completely understand. Just if you if you know you can take the shot and hit him to save mm-hmm. everyone else, I get it. But there's four armed people in this room. The, like, oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. He's basically, whenever I'm bad at a video game, it's usually because I lose my patience and I walk in and just start blasting without actually be doing being tactical. Yet <laughs> Harry somehow gets away with it every time where he's just quick enough with that damn magnum that he takes out three of the guys quickly and then, you know, there's a bit of a, a, a jump or whatever. And then we get the, the yeah. famous line, you know, go ahead, make my day. Uh, he, to the he's last talking guy. to a hostage taker. Yeah. And basically, basically... I think Harry just lives off of the concept that nobody wants to shoot anyone else. They only use it as like a last resort. And so Harry's able to just be the one guy who <laughs> genuinely does want to shoot other people. So he can just sit there, monologue at these people, and they won't take the time to shoot their hostage. Yeah. Also, we do have to point out here, so he has this, it's not a big speech like the first movie, but he has his big mm-hmm. line here. Go ahead, make my day. Yes. I want to point out it's used the exact same way that is in the first movie, where he uses it here in this random event early on in the movie, and then he uses it again and actually takes the shot at the end of the movie with the main villain. Yep. I would argue that the second time, though, doesn't make any sense for like the situation. Oh, and that's fair, yeah. They just wanted to do yeah. it to, yeah. to mirror the first movie, yeah. It was just them saying, like, no, this is a really good line. We need to keep using that. Yeah. Uh, but... So, oh, naturally, he gets chewed out. Uh, for, mm-hmm. Well, he got chewed out before this, actually, just for the court the thing. Because, like, hey, this guy got away because you're a, you know, like a, a obscene detective yeah. who, you know, ruins everything with your tactics and just, you know, blunders headfirst into everything with force. And he has a line when he's leaving the, the diner where he's like, ask uh, the commissioner if the coffee's uh, psychic. It was, it was like the district attorney, and yeah, the district attorney was just being like, God, you can't just go in because you you th- think there's a crime going on. You're not psychic, Harry. Yeah. Well, he's got a point. Someone give him a hint this time. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. He, he, got, he got tipped off. <laughs> it was the coffee. The coffee is psychic. And of, but of course, he gets chewed out for like you know, all the gunfire and damage and just mm-hmm. the amount of crap that goes on around him. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he, he, he gets chewed out, and then immediately... Like, the very next scene, he decides, I'm going to go cause some more trouble. And he goes to a mobster's wedding. Well, it's the, well to mirror the Godfather, exactly, it's actually the mobster's niece who's getting married. Right. But yeah. Uh, and there's like two there's two like cops on a stakeout outside this hotel where the wedding's happening. And mm-hmm. they see Harry go in and they go, oh no, we're on stakeout. Harry Callahan's <laughs> just went into the, 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 
the, the perps area. What's going on? Um, so this scene is absurd as well uh, yeah. for numerous reasons. So obviously it's not random because Harry goes there, right? So that's fine, right? Yeah. Harry's going there with intent. Mm-hmm. He walks in, he argues his way past, you know, the girl at the front. And he walks up to this mob boss who's one of these sort of B-movie actors that I've seen, definitely seen in a few things of this time period. He's got a really gravelly voice, he's got a big moustache. Mm-hmm. And he's this mob boss. And Harry uh, is there, uh, and the guy's been doing that like sort of like, ah, I'm a mob boss, I'm nice to everyone, sit down, have champagne, it's important, blah, blah, blah. Right. And Harry is effectively there because this guy, um, seemingly as we find out through the context of the conversation, has killed a prostitute. Uh, a prostitute that he maybe frequented and told some secrets to and then murdered because she could tell people the secrets that he had told during right. pillow talk or whatever. And apparently had been tortured and found in a, like a car in the water with her feet burned off and something else. Like, you know, Harry you know, explains all this. Yeah. And, you know, everyone at the table, including the bride and the groom who are sitting there, right, are all <laughs> feeling a bit awkward about it. But then he starts, like, describing that she's a prostitute and then starts basically ins- heavily insinuating that you did this, you tortured this, but it's not just dead, you tortured mm-hmm. her. You went to a prostitute and you tortured her and then killed her. Um, right. And then his 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 play here is that he whips out an envelope and says, you know, but, you know, little did you, little would this person, because he keeps doing it in sort of this third person, we never says yeah. you, he keeps saying, you know, this person, mm-hmm. you know, little did he know that she wrote down all these secrets and gave them to the police and now they're here and they're going to be unveiled to everyone and all of the dirty laundry is going to come out and the guy stands up and then starts having a heart attack and he dies he croaks right there and then and i called what was about to happen as he's walking out he, he, he hands the envelope to like the concierge or whoever mm-hmm. and she pulls out the paper and it's just blank pieces of paper he ma- he did this bluff and it's actually addressed yeah. but he's been chewed out in the next scene for this <laughs> again okay. all right but like <laughs> nothing i'm sorry i'm trying to get my thoughts here (laughs) you were talking about the bloating issue before yes this plot technically is the inciting well i should say it should be the inciting incident that gets him to the other city yes that's right after this scene they could send him away because they could say Oh, they're going to come after you. That said, though, I will accept one assassination attempt. I will accept yes. one actual attempt to show there's danger and then send them away. So to be yeah. fair, this is technically needed. Maybe, I mean, it's stupid the way they've done it here. But my, my only <laughs> thing here is, out of all of that, why did the guy need to have a heart attack and die? Like, all he had to do was say, I've got this little thing of secrets sure, and I sure, keep yeah. it here in my coat pocket. That's all he needs to do. But for some reason, we needed to have the mob boss not only die as a direct action of Harry, but die as a indirect action of Harry as well. Because what was funny so that, is because part of me was going like, did Harry like actually th- like think this would be the outcome? And he says in the next, you know, it's implied in the next scene, like the captain says, you know, mm-hmm. you give him a heart. Like, I didn't know that would happen. It's like, okay, I'm glad you said that, Harry, because I was a little worried yeah. that this movie was trying to tell me that you were so good at what you do that you predicted that this guy would have a heart attack. By Harry, making Harry this just threat. sees the sweat on his brow and the shake of his hand, and he's like, I could push this further. Yeah. But I mean, I'll accept to, to some extent that he wanted to just ruffle his feathers to sort of see if he'd make a mistake. That's probably yeah. what his intention was. And, and the guy yeah, had a heart I, attack I, instead. 
I think that's fair, but it also is for <laughs> it's for a plot that like d- was introduced in that scene. Yes, like he tells us later, like oh the investigation was at a standstill. I was just trying to shake something up. Like okay, but it's to go that far on this thing that didn't matter, like wasn't introduced before this and is dropped immediately after this. It just seems so random of a scene. Yes. It's a, it's a very random scene when he goes in there because, like you say, it escalates to this big, dramatic, you know, air quotes, <laughs> point. <laughs> you know, it escalates too far in one scene to feel like it's earned what it's doing. Mm-hmm. And it just comes off as mildly funny that this is happening. Yeah. I mean, I guess my biggest qualm with it is that I'm I'm trying to follow this. I'm writing down notes of like, oh, this person does this, this person does that. I've got like four or five lines devoted to this scene mm-hmm. and none of it matters. Like all of it is just, it's just a scene that like the only reason that it was there was just so that we can have the assassination attempt so that he can get out of town. That's it. But at least this versus say the, the coffee diner scene actually Hmm. has a purpose in the plot (laughs) in some capacity. Yeah. I mean, I, I gotta say, I am a bit disappointed that those scenes where he's eating something and stumbles into a crime didn't keep on escalating as we predicted they would. I switched to coffee this time. Although, there's this, when he goes to the crime scene that's related to the main plot, uh, which is, I think it's before this, maybe, or maybe it's after, I don't know, whatever it happened. uh, Yes, it is just before, it's just after that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the other cop that's there when he goes to see the crime scene is eating a hot dog, and Harry said something like, how could you eat that hot dog? And I went, Harry, the first movie, you were stuffing your face with a hot dog. But then he clarifies, then he clarifies, yeah. mm-hmm. and he says, no one puts ketchup on a hot dog. Which immediately made me not in line with Harry anymore. Well, <laughs> I, not only do I think that's a, an absurd statement, I don't it think is. I've ever seen a photograph on like a menu, whether it be a fast food place the st- or the movie theater, whatever you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Every time I see a photo of a hot dog when they're trying to sell me a hot dog, you always see both the ketchup and the mustard and yeah. the alternating squiggles. Yeah, the double the helix. Yes, yeah, the double helix. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a much better word for it otherwise. Yeah, no, I mean, as soon as he said that, I immediately was like, Harry, that's what made me honestly start to like make the joke that ended up being the plot of Harry's from some other world now. He's just, he's got some other thing going on. And I know that there are some purists out there. I know there's an entire, like, society for hot dogs and sausages that says that if you're over the age of, like, 12, you shouldn't be putting a ketchup on the hot dog. To them, I thumb my nose because <laughs> screw them. I, I It's baffling. Uh, the only other thing I'll say about this hot dog, because I do have one more point to make, is yeah. that they intentionally had the guy eat a hot dog where the, the dog is far too long for the bun. So it looked mm-hmm. especially phallic in the context yeah. of the scene when they were talking about getting some, someone getting shot in the dick. I don't know. I, yeah. just, I thought that was a, oh, an, yeah. an odd it, choice. Because he definitely mentioned it, and then yeah. the, the dog itself is stretching out like yeah. a full three inches from the end. And, like, which I would get it in, like, a, a lighthearted movie, but the tone, of the, like, the tone of the victims and the murder stuff is actually quite serious. It's actually going for, like, a mm-hmm. gritty thriller. Um which is fine because the first movie was a pretty great thriller yeah. but then everything that happens with the carry and the characters feels completely at odds with that tone which is right odd. after the hot dog scene is a weirdly introspective like why is harry even still doing this conversation where they're just looking out at the bay and then the guy with the hot dogs like harry don't tell me it's getting to you and he goes on this whole long spiel 
of like, oh, it gets to me every time. I, I, I'm always upset about murders and crime and all this stuff going on. But why do I keep doing it? I don't know. And then they just walk away. Yeah, he said. I think one of the lines he actually says here is the guy says that like, he's thinking about quitting. He's like, I don't know, maybe. And I'm like, you did quit. The end of the first <laughs> movie, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you quit in the first movie. You should have been fired by the end of the second movie. In the third movie, you're given a life pass. So whatever. <laughs> madness, absolute madness. Um, so obviously, the other main things that happen with Harry in this first chunk um, mm-hmm. is the assassination attempts. Uh, He's literally just walking down the street for the first one when a car pulls up and tries to hit him and, like, three guys from the mob get out and yep. chase him down. Uh, it's a whole big thing where they chase him up onto, like, a... Like, like a, a pier? Dock? Yeah, dock. Yeah, kind of a, like a bridging dock. But And mm-hmm. they think he's hiding in a box, so they, they, they shoot it with a lot of ammunition. And then Harry just pops out from behind him and kills him <laughs> without yeah. much effort it's just really quick. except for one that manages to get away mm-hmm. yeah uh so there's that uh the second assassination attempt is the guys from the st- the courtroom scene who want revenge on mm-hmm. harry uh while harry's driving they pull up behind them and they light some molotov cocktails they got some bats and stuff and yep. i must you know what this scene should be cut it is completely superfluous I will say, just on a in, in a vacuum on its own, there is a really great visual at one point of like a stuntman driving like Harry's car where the back seat is completely in flames and it looked quite oh, yeah. cool. It was a good stunt. Yeah. Like I thought that was no, a stunt. It was a cool it? stunt, but it also was like, okay, they're both driving down this road. Harry's back seat and front seat, mind you, because there were two cocktails, are both on fire and Harry just keeps driving. I well, don't know no, what no, he's to, waiting for. To be fair, uh, the okay. one in the front didn't actually smash, so it hadn't because he, he picks it up and throws it back. Okay. To be fair, his back seat is engulfed in yeah, flames. Yeah, no, he is. You're absolutely right. So at certain, like, I feel like as soon as the first bottle was thrown into my car, the first thing I do is slam on the brakes and get out of the car. Oh yeah. But he decides <laughs> to keep driving for all, like all, half a mile. All these numerous times you've had multiple cocktails thrown at your car. It happens more than you think. <laughs> Where were you um, living before you moved? Detroit? <laughs> inner city Baltimore. Why? Um, but no, there is one scene that we skipped over here that I just want to real quick uh, go over is we are introduced to Horace. Oh, yeah. oh yes. Our, our, our returning actor who yes. now is just Harry's friend. He's kind of he's kind of the partner of the movie because Harry doesn't actually have a partner in the movie. Yep. And you know what happens to Harry's oh, partner. I know. Uh, he's only in two scenes. He's in the scene he's introduced and then the scene he dies later on. Yeah, uh, it, it was nice to, do you know, at this point when he showed up, I was like, yeah, it's him. It's Mustafa from the last movie. It's the pimp from the mm-hmm. second movie. It's the, the the guy who got the famous speech in the first movie, yep. you know? Um, he's finally gotten all the way up there to recurring status. Yeah. I will say, I thought it was a bit silly that they tried to pretend he was there to assassinate Harry, even though it's believable someone would. Like... Yeah, they decided to do this thing where he gets out of his car and Harry's in the woods, like just like doing you know target practice, and mm. the guy's walking up behind him holding a shotgun. And you're like, oh, even to the point where the actor's actually doing kind of a intimidating face as he's walking up to mm. him, and then of course, but I knew it was going to be like Harry turns around and is like, oh, hey, buddy, and you know, right. in Harry's own way, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, this scene though exists to introduce Horace, so mm. we can have Harry have a partner who's killed later. But also <laughs> to introduce his new semi-automatic forty-four Magnum, which yes. even though the first movie does make a big, you know, his big speech that has him, you know, forty-four Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, blah blah. There was something about the way he picked up this, like you know, 
semi-auto version and held it up, they just felt like a commercial to me. They just... Oh, I, no, he was literally reading off the specs. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it just, yeah, but maybe the dialogue just wasn't written as well to, like, hide the fact that they're kind of pimping this gun out, but it just I, I don't do know. think he also specifically said the brand. I can't remember exactly, but I do think before it's just been the generic, like, 44 Magnum, but this yeah. time he was like... That's uh, the Smith and Wesson forty four. Oh no, that was in the coffee scene because he because he that said coffee, we're okay. going to stop you and he's like who's we? He's like uh, Smith, Western, and myself. There you go. Yep. Yeah, that was, that was his thing. No, you're right. You had to bring that scene up. You're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, so just the car Molotov that ends with uh, yeah. like him throwing the Molotov into the other car and then they mm-hmm. drive off into the water. Presumably all dead. I don't. I mean, never actually. I don't know if they say oh, if they died, but I'm. I I have to assume yes because at a certain point that car fills up with water. Yeah, and they're not getting out, and, and this, it doesn't seem like they were in too much of a hurry to get out in the first place. So. And the scene the next day at this scene when they're pulling the car out of the water is when his captain or lieutenant finally mm-hmm. says, "Harry, this murder that happened with the dick shooting earlier." Uh, yep. We've traced that back to San Paulo. You you go there <laughs> and take your I, time. <laughs> I do really want to give credit. Um, between his, I guess, lieutenant, the captain, and the commissioner, all three people who were chewing out Harry in the first time he was being mm-hmm. attacked, the other two actors I felt were really wooden. And wooden acting is a problem all over this movie. Um but the captain, like this one guy who keeps showing up, he was the one that like really sold it. Like I really believed him as just this cop who has been through too much, and he's just like, Jesus, Harry, just give me a break. Yeah. Like I, I, I really want to give kudos on that acting. I don't know if it's particularly good, but it stands out a lot amongst the yeah. other actors. Yeah, I think he was lieutenant because I noticed that he kind of replaced the uh, the guy that was in the first and the third movie, the one who was kind mm-hmm. of more on Harry's Breath- side. Bresser, yeah, Bressler, that guy. Uh, it felt like he kind of replaced that role because he was the one who, to a point in the earlier scenes, was like trying to say, "Hey, come on, Harry!" Like he was being nicer to him. He, he seemed to right. respect them more than the other two. Uh, but yeah, even he at this point in the movie is like. Harry, <laughs> like everywhere you yeah. go, there's just chaos. So please leave, mm-hmm. <laughs> please leave for a while. Uh, and like we said earlier, he literally drives into the the, the main square of San Paulo. I, I have mm-hmm. no idea how big this place. I've never heard of it. But, you know, it sounds like, it's just a coastal California town, presumably yeah. near San Francisco. Um, but he uh, he pulls in. He hears an alarm. And sure enough, there's a guy running with like a bag of stuff that he stole. Is it jewels? Is it money? I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> uh, but that's, he chases him down for quite a while, running down these streets. And then eventually, the bad guy steals like a like a, a meter maid's like little motorbike <laughs> and right. starts like you know running away on that. And Harry, the vehicle he chooses to commandeer is an old folks' homes bus. So he gets on the bus, he's driving for a second, then turns around and sees like just all these pensioners, and he's like, eh, police officer in pursuit of a suspect, and immediately all the old people are like, yeah, get him, yeah, get that son of a bitch. And all I could think was, you're almost inadvertently like pointing out that Harry appeals to an older generation with yeah, this scene. <laughs> pretty much. I mean, it definitely is. Uh, real quick, I did look up San Paulo. Oh. Uh, it doesn't exist. Made up oh, for the it's movie. made up. Okay, fair enough. Yep. Well, it felt believable enough as a coastal, mm-hmm. you know, There's a thing. There is a San Pablo, which uh, has about 30,000 people, so... Maybe it's based on that. 
Yeah. Maybe. Because it felt small. The way he runs yeah. into the, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, his his wife in real life, or well, uh, uh, I don't know if the term Sandra Locke. Sandra Locke. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so she's she's the the one going out for revenge. We'll talk about it more in a bit. But he mm-hmm. runs into her like at the end of this scene. I thought, oh, the purpose of this scene is that the chase ends right outside where she's hanging out, and that's how they're going to meet. But then she, they never talk, and it's like you know he didn't even know she was there. And then yeah. he runs into her again. <laughs> in fact, he, he runs, runs into, into her, her again. Like, Four times. He runs into her again, and the at that point he has meathead. And honest to God, that scene baffled me. Go on. They're they're <laughs> they're walking down a path. She's biking. They are not. Nobody's like jumping out or like changing direction suddenly. It is a long and narrow straightaway that anyone can see down. And somehow she gets surprised by the dog, falls off the bike tells harry to keep a leash on his dog again the dog doing nothing and then the scene just ends with them having now met yeah it's not like like this is now they know each other so it explains how they'll interact later they just go their separate ways and then they have to run into each other again (laughs) later on so they run into each other at least three times before they even exchange names and like know that no, even have an idea that the other one's involved in their plot, if that makes sense. So, very well. Uh, yeah, I did think the way she threw herself off the bike looked a bit like an actor throwing themselves off the bike rather than actually, you know, stumbling. I mean, it, it would be one thing if, like, they got some B-roll footage of, like, the dog suddenly jerking to one direction or, like, yeah. jumping up at her. But, like, the dog, li- it's not a fit dog. This dog is barely able to walk. And it just stands there, and she's like, "Keep a leash on that thing." I'm like, "Lady, that dog is like five seconds from being dead." I yeah. don't. I have no idea what you want him to do with this hunk of flesh. So at this point, now that Harry's in the town, and we've talked about the couple of random scenes early yep. on with them, for the, I guess now it's time to really sort of go back and talk about Rewind. what the main story is. So early on, we're introduced to Jennifer. That's who Sandra Locke, Sandra Locke mm-hmm. plays. Um, who at this point had been in a relationship with Eastwood in real life since 75. Yes. Uh, they break up in 89. I only know that because I looked it up after because I was curious if they were still together when this movie yep. came out. <laughs> they uh, were just about to hit on the outs. Yes, yes. Well, they had... No, no, they had six years left after this. All right, fair enough. That's not too bad. Yeah, that's not too bad. So this is right in the middle. This is This is right when they're probably at their... Like, they're after the honeymoon phase, but they're still content with each other. They think they're probably going to be mm-hmm. together forever at this point. Uh, so he says, hey, I'll cash in a movie where you get gang raped <laughs> and uh, you get revenge on the bad guys. See, you say that, but having, like, done little bits of acting myself, those are the best roles. Oh, yeah, it's the one that the actor's like, oh, yes, I can be yeah. so dramatic and I can yes. pour it all in. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, obviously, we learn kind of the background of what the crime is as the movie goes on. But just to kind of mm-hmm. make it clear here up front, because uh, there's two flashback scenes the second one especially felt kind of like redundant to me because it's just there's, mm. a, there's a second scene where it's like this is how the woman with the villains kind of like yeah. forced her or talked her into coming to this party but what if, seems to have happened at the the, the pier at this town which is kind of you know like that kind of it's like an amusement park amusement park kind of fair great like, you know like uh mm. cody island no. cody island yeah, cody island cody yeah, island right. cody, cody cody island yeah uh, mm. so uh, it's, it's like that sort of place where right so and basically there's this group of people I'm hesitant to even say gang they're kind of just like a weird assortment of people who are together uh, yeah. but there's like 
particularly vicious woman who's the leader of the group who intentionally lured Jennifer to this party, who at the time mm. was a college student, and even convinced her to bring her younger sister, Jennifer's younger sister, who at the time mm. was, I think, a freshman or a sophomore in high school. Think, so she's a yeah. teenager. And basically she invited them so that all of her friends could gang rape them, right? So you get this vicious sort of flashback scene of the of the incident. And it's a, re- a weird assortment of guys. Like, there's the one guy who's clearly not really, like, is guilty about it and hesitant and doesn't want to do it, who the others kind of force into it. There's a couple of people who are maybe a bit more, one guy who's maybe a bit more hesitant, but a, a lot more willing to go along with it. There's a couple of sort of just they're into it guys. And then there's the one who's kind of the deranged like lunatic who ends up being kind of the final boss at the end, who's the most vicious right. one of the, the bunch. But, you know, it's this horrible thing. And where introduction to her is that she's making out with a guy in a car. It turns out he's one of the guys from this group. Uh, it's, it's actually very, uh, I spit in your grave to an extent. This yeah. idea that she can go after them one by one and they don't even recognize her. They don't even mm-hmm. like acknowledge that this is the person they attacked. And at least it's actually more believable here at to an extent because it's like 10 years have passed since the, the mm-hmm. incident. But she takes out a gun. Uh, Wells T's like too busy feeling the euphoria of being touched <laughs> and shoots him in the dick and then shoots him in the head right after. That's kind of her MO throughout the movie. She shoots him in the dick and then the head to finish them yep. off. Um, so yeah, they investigate the crime scene, but we get that she's an artist. She's going back to Sao Paulo because that's where most of the other people are uh, that committed the crime. She and goes and visits her sister first. Yeah, her sister's in like, like a... Hey. She's like catatonic. She's yeah. non-responsive. And she's like, hey, remember what happened to us? Uh, I killed one of them. I'm going to kill the rest of them. <laughs> yeah. Hope so, that helps. You know, it's obviously... like This is the weird thing about the movie is that we're, we're kind of laughing about how over-the-top and silly certain scenes are and how things don't quite track. But then you've got this ultra-serious rape-revenge yeah. plot uh, in the other side of it. And... Not even just a rape revenge plot, a rape revenge plot that left like the second victim like in a catatonic state that the sister feels especially, you know, determined to get revenge for. You know, yeah. it's not just herself. So it's this ultra dark thing. And the villains that perpetrated this, as we because uh, the first one we don't get to know before it happens. But after this, we start to introduce to them a little bit. And we see, you know, there's a scene where Harry goes to a bar and actually runs into the the leader, uh what's her name? Ray. Her name is Ray, yes. Um who is particularly unlikable and she's also got this running thing where she she's really into like various guys in the movie that don't want anything to do with her uh she, mm-hmm. she actually tries to hit on harry and say hey you want to buy me a drink you may get lucky which almost felt like a like a reference to you know do you feel lucky punk <laughs> to oh me? yeah like, you know, a little on the nose uh, and harry's like nah not today and she keeps pushing it and she's even in this scene like he's she's not doing anything like villainous in this scene but even in this scene, she's coming across very unlikable with how, like, sort of, like... Oh, yeah, no. A- a- aggressive, Absolutely. maybe, she- she's being with it. She's very boisterous, very... Yeah. Just, like, everyone else in the bar is just minding their own business, and she's literally going up to just random guys being like, hey, you want to buy me a drink? You want to take me home? And they're just like, nope. And then they, rather than push the point, just leave. Like, they know not to deal with her yeah. antics pretty oh, much. Oh yeah, the locals are clearly used to their bullshit and just yeah. get, get, get it far away as possible. Whereas mm. Harry, you know, he just sits there and when she keeps pushing it, he says something like, you know, I, I, I only you know sleep with humans or something like that. He says he has a line like that, uh, which right. makes her go to hit him and 
he grabs her hand and then like pushes her away or even like pushes her with his foot up the backside to, and she ends up on the floor so it's, it's, it's which you know not the, not the last time he's going to hit this woman by the end of the movie he, he punches her square in oh, the yeah. face later on in the, the film um hard to feel that sympathetic because she's a vile monster who you know traps people into rape yeah, situations i was gonna say if you if you ever want a character to be okay with punching someone oh who, yeah that's like, a fake they candidate. probably shouldn't be no absolutely i think sex trafficking is probably the best way to make it okay yeah so it, you know it's just, she's just this veil and you can sort of maybe start to think about the psychology i don't think they put this much thought into it to be fair but the mm-hmm. psychology of this, because later on, like the uh, the crazy one, the uh, Mick, who's the who's like the crazy Mick. one, who's got the really sleazy mustache, and he's the most vicious one. We see him being kind of rapey with like his girlfriend at one point. I thought that was just a prostitute or a prostitute, yeah, whoever it was. But he was being mm-hmm. kind of aggressive with her, and he's clearly the one that everyone else is scared of because one of the other guys mm-hmm. like says something like that at one point. But he like is asleep later on in the movie when they're hiding out, and and. Uh, What's it for? Ray wakes up and goes over and starts to like touch him and kiss him. And when yeah. he wakes up, he's like pushing her away, and she's like, "Ah, oh, come on, let's just do it." And he's he's like, "No, bitch!" And they start like like swinging for each other. And I'm like, "Yeah." I, I almost get this impression that like her like feeling of rejection that she's like fallen into this awful crowd and she's become the worst of them by trying to gain favor by like, you know helping give them what they think she you know i I almost feel you could do like a character study on like how she became this way and her feeling of insecurities is what led her to be this awful human being but i'll let the movies really thinking about it that hard but i I definitely think there's something there (laughs) yeah no i mean it there is definitely some amount of thought put in in that if they wanted her to just be you know as sleazy as the rest of them then theoretically she wouldn't have any problem with just throwing all of them under the bus mm. of just being like, Hey, I'm not going to tell them that uh, Jennifer's coming. I'm just going to let them die. But she does take the time to go to each one of them pretty much individually and say like, Hey, remember that girl from before? Yeah. She's responsible for it. Yeah. So, after the second murder, obviously she starts to wait, wait a minute, two of the group have died. So right. that's when she starts. Yeah. I, I so, think, but the rest of the group, it kind of feels like more about maybe building like a team because she's scared herself. But I would yeah. say specifically with Mick, it kind of feels a bit more like no, she does like have some sort of like weird infatuation with them. Yeah, which I don't like. I get that he's supposed to be some level of like charismatic, but <laughs> because we're in the audience, all we see is the psycho smiles yeah. and the eyes widening. He's definitely a bit over the top with the performance. It is kind of interesting because I would say that Ray. Because I wouldn't refer to Jennifer as the villain. I kind of referred to that in the spoiler-free section because we were yeah. kind of dancing around what was going on. I think she's an interesting case, because, but she's definitely not the villain. She's the killer, but she's not the villain. And I think Ray is the one who comes across as the ringleader. So I think for a lot of the movie, it felt like she was the villain. And I would have expected maybe the final conflict to be between Ray and yeah. Jennifer. But because yeah. Harry has to be in the final conflict... It, it does this interesting thing where it transitions to Mick at a certain point, about maybe mm-hmm. 25 minutes before the end. And that's maybe not unsuccessful, but it does make it feel... It's almost like they try to shift to like someone like Scorpio in the last 25 minutes. Yeah. And obviously I mean, he's nowhere I, near as good. I think that the easiest way this could have been solved was, like you said, there was that superfluous scene where they showed 
um, Jennifer being convinced to go to this party by Ray. And that's what really kind of laid it in on like, no, she is the one to blame. She is the central person who should be drawing Jennifer's like rage and revenge. As soon as you take away that scene, everyone's pretty much equal. It really could have gone any direction. Yeah. I think that that one scene is the thing that really pushes the narrative of, no, Ray is the person to focus on. I think that if they wanted to change it to Mick, the easiest way to do so is show... Because during the initial rape scene, like they show cuts of people's faces and stuff like that. They never really showed Mick being any worse than any of the other guys. I feel like all they would need to do is just show how he's even more violent than everyone yeah else. i think you show either he's worse or you show that he started it yeah uh, and escalated it or you show maybe if you keep the scene where like uh ray's telling jennifer to come to the party and convincing her even when she's mm-hmm. hesitant maybe you show him walk out after and say like oh like, show, like show he's the he, one coercing yeah, Ray. yeah, yeah. He's, he's he's like made this request or so you know i don't know like whatever but it does kind of feel like, oh, he's suddenly the main villain at the end, but I don't necessarily think he was, but I feel like he has to be just so, because the end of the movie has to be Harry's the hero taking down the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, I would have tried to make it feel more equal. Because in the movie, uh, Jennifer kills Ray before all the final climax stuff happens. It's kind of, yeah. it's towards the end, but it's, it's, you know, it's before the big final set pieces. I would have had it so that they were both still around and that both Harry and Jennifer could get their big moment kind of like mm. almost simultaneously, and it would feel equal. Yeah, I mean, not to jump ahead too much, but the entire last act pretty much just, I mean, not the last act, but the, as soon as Harry shows up, Jennifer's just reduced to damsel status. Yeah, like, yeah. She doesn't get anything to do. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, it's it, it, that's kind of a, a problem. Obviously, we have the, the murders themselves. Mm. Uh, the second guy she kills is on the beach just looking at porn or something like that. <laughs> yeah the, the it, it's ever i think that's the one thing in this movie that it did do a good job with is that over the course of the movie mick notwithstanding it gets less and less clear whether or not she should be able to kill this person so the very first one was just she was the guy was literally like having sex with her again mm. and so she kills him that's, you know, cut and dry. Okay, he's not learned his lesson. Second guy is on the beach, and he's, like, looking at porn, apparently. You know, still sleazy, a little bit less so. Then they get to the third guy, and the third guy, he's like, hey, I was a kid back then. I've changed. I run a successful business. Like, I'm different now. Of course, it could have all just been lip service. He could have just been saying whatever I mean, to try to save his own life. He, but... he did kind of sound like a... Uh... It kind of felt like someone in a modern sense where you, you hear someone be accused of something from like their, their college days or whatever right. and they're like, hey, should I really have to pay for something I did? I was just a kid. Which, you know, mm. piss off. You're, you know, you're yeah. 18, 20 or whatever. Like, you, you, oh yeah, no. And I mean, like, especially with certain levels of crimes as well. Yeah. So, yeah, um, like, it, it, like if anything, I ended up disliking him more because he was trying to like weasel out of under this guise of I am a better, I'm like a proper citizen now. I have a, oh, yeah. a business. Like oh, yeah, no, I'm not yeah. I'm not saying it doesn't I'm not saying that it doesn't make it more acceptable, but it is something where this the previous two guys still sleazy, still gross. From the perspective of like morality, 
this is a guy who at least has done something with his life since then. So it is quite a, it's a thing of, like you're saying, should you be punished for something that you did in the past? And if not, where's that line drawn? Yeah, like I say, I think it's maybe how you take it, but I, I to me, he actually came off worse to an extent because mm-hmm. he was trying to act like he didn't deserve any punishment. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, he he no, was trying he definitely, to. <clears throat> sorry, he definitely wasn't innocent for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so maybe it's the modern but, context of like a post, you know, like Weinstein Me Too world where I'm right. just kind of like, mm-hmm. like my view on this is very specific, but. I, yeah. I just I, I ended up disliking him more as a character more than the first couple of guys. I mean, they definitely didn't do anything to make him seem likable. Like no, from an audience no. perspective, it definitely wasn't there. Well, even earlier um, on when Ray goes to speak to him and says, Oh, yeah. you know, are you afraid everyone will find out? He says there's nothing to find out. Even that little line's like, Oh, you yeah. like the fact that you could even say that is is you know damning. Yeah, he doesn't on you. show any guilt. He thinks that just time has absolved him. And that's yeah. definitely something worse. But then after him, the next one to die is Ray, and that one gets further down total pull because she didn't actually perform the act itself. She was the one who facilitated it, but she didn't perform the act. Of course, that's still she's still guilty immensely so, but it is still just that teasing of the question because that's really what the movie is going for here. Is like all she is is a vigilante at this point. She does not have the law backing her up. She doesn't have the yeah. authority even that Harry does as an officer. I think she is going back and just getting revenge. Does that still, if someone did not perform the act, but they facilitated it, does that still count as something that should be rewarded with the same penalty? I think I might disagree a bit here on this, like the like it going down rather than up in terms of it being clear if they're they're guilty or not. Because mm-hmm. I think everything you've been saying about Ray up until this point is that we felt that she was the main villain. Uh, right, right up until no, it switches. I, I think that narratively she felt yeah. like the main villain and that she should have been like the last to be punished. But in terms of what her actual action was, I'm not sure that, like, I think that there is this theme because, I mean, not to bury the lead, but the uh, the last guy besides Mick was the son of the police captain of the town. Yeah. And the that's the whole reason the police captain has basically been telling Harry not to work this case is because he he's genuinely all right with this woman getting her revenge. And he's given her the green light as long as by the time that she gets to his son, he's able to be there for it and is able to stop it from happening. Because yeah, and it's, it's he an... felt yeah, he felt so much guilt and remorse and whatnot that he ended up trying to kill himself and ended up being basically catatonic it's the same so. as well i think it's intentionally the same as her sister if, if, right. you know, in, in mm-hmm. essence that the way she the way he's sitting there the way he's non-responsive is exactly like her sister so this right. is the only one she in some level maybe doesn't forgive but at the very least is like you know what you've already punished yourself like i, I don't need to to do it right um I, I don't think i don't know if the movie's really asking you where that line is though i don't know if the rest of the film you're talking about like you know each of these kills it's progressively less clear if the person's deserving of the of the punishment. Mm. I don't know if the movie really is asking that. I don't know if I ever get that sense from it that it's it's really. I mean, I was I was because I knew the movie does not do a good job of hiding that the police captain's son is one of them. Oh yeah, like, no, it's, it's very it, clear early on. Yeah, yeah, it forecasts that pretty early. Um, so I knew that that was going to be something that was going to have to be dealt with, and I think there was some comment earlier on 
it was by Mick. He was basically saying like they were having a conversation about the police captain son and basically saying how he just sits there and is a zombie all day. So I'm like, okay, he's he's not in a mental state where he's good. So with those two pieces together, I knew that probably the last person we got to, it turns out it was actually Mick, but I was thinking that the last person we got to was going to be somebody where it was a real struggle on Jennifer's part as to whether or not to kill him, on whether or not he deserves it. And once I knew that was the end game, I was then looking at everyone else through that lens of... But it wasn't though, right? Like, there is no struggle. The only one she has a struggle with is the, the catatonic son. Everyone else, she's... Yeah, no, she doesn't struggle with anyone else. I'm not saying that it's a struggle yeah. for her, but I'm saying I was viewing it through the lens of where is that line? Because they also had that discussion over drinks of where where does it change from what Harry does to vigilantism? Yeah, but I, I don't think the movie's distinguishing between any of the other characters. I think every other person she kills are all lumped together. They're all lumped together and they're That's over fair. the line because they were part of this incident and... That conversation's about, okay, just crossing that line into killing all of them versus, you know, a couple of them might be under the line, a couple of them might be... I don't think the movie's trying mm -hmm. to separate them. I think it's just, at what point do you take the law into your hands for something awful that happened? And obviously, it's very in character for Harry. I'll, you know, if I'm going to give the movie a compliment, is at the end of the movie, when he makes the choice to cover for her so that it looks like mm -hmm. Mick did all the killings and she goes gets to go scot-free... That feels inc like Harry would be such a goddamn hypocrite if he said, oh, yeah. no, I have to take you in because you broke the law. Like, no, no. What she's doing now is effectively the same choice you made at the end of the first movie to go after the killer outside of being mm -hmm. a cop. Right? You know, you like, you yeah. cannot judge her for this. So. But, but see, I think that that is moving off of the earlier thing, but I think that that is why it is the central, at least what they were trying to go for with harry's morals is that harry has said before that like the little things drugs and prostitution and whatnot he doesn't care he'll let those people yeah. he if it as long as it doesn't get in the way of him prosecuting the big crimes which i believe rape and murder would be those crimes but that's yeah. the key there is that these people that have been killed committed rape and this person who killed them was the victim so it comes down to do you still think that it is a big crime if the reasons going into it change? If it's not just, you know, uh, for greed or for rage or stuff like that. It is for justice. The only difference between what she's done in this movie and what Harry's done in some of the movies past mm -hmm. is that she doesn't have a badge. And that's what I, I because he specifically says during the drinks that within yeah. the law, he, he sees what he does as getting to the end point of what his job is. Whereas she's doing this because she just wants to do it. And I think that's where that, they could have had an entire arc about that. They could have done, I don't, th I don't think it's there. <laughs> no, they didn't. I am reading yeah. so much deeper into it, trying to give it the credit it, it wants. I fully accept that. Because it's just that conversation and then the choice at the end. And the choice at the mm. end is fine. And like I say, I'll compliment it in that it feels very fitting for his character to make that choice. Right. But I don't think, and I think part of that goes back to the problem of him, like not even being involved with her enough, or knowing that she's involved enough until the last like little chunk. He's, he's so disconnected from that mm -hmm. moral mor morality. Other than the fact that at one point he kind of rightly guesses, oh, I don't think this is a psychopath. I think this is someone like 
you know, right. settle on a score or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but other than that, like, it's not like he then, like, see if there was a scene where either it was with her or someone else where he goes, I don't know if I want to catch them. Like, maybe if he finds out what the crime, because that's the other thing. He doesn't know what the revenge is for either until right, right. at the end. I, so, like, if he knew it was for some sort of big, you know, double gang rape that left one of them catatonic uh, because they couldn't, mm-hmm. like, mentally, you know, cope with it, like, maybe he could have a scene where he talks about it and says, oh, I, like, I don't know if I want to stop them. Like, may- they, yeah. they kind of have this coming. Like, I'm kind of on their side. And maybe wrestle with that and wrestle with the morality of being a, the morality of being a cop, but agreeing mm-hmm. with what the bad person, you know, quote-unquote, is doing. You know, I, I think there could be something. I don't think the yeah. movie does it, though. Because, I mean, if you just go back to the second movie, the second movie, the villains, the actual villains, yes. were a bunch of cops who were going and getting justice for people who dodged the system. Yeah, yeah. and But, of course... And I think that's maybe where the question should be. If if the second movie was like, okay, when from Harry's perspective, when is someone crossing a line even though they have a badge? Surely mm-hmm. the flip side of that is then, but someone who doesn't have a badge, can they get to the same line before yeah. Harry's got a problem with it? Yeah, and I think that should have been the focus. I'm not, I'm not saying that it yeah. was, but I think that that should have been what the primary focus of this film was because in the end, all it ended up being was that last scene where Harry was like, Nah, I, w- I probably would have done the same thing. In yeah. fact, he did do the same thing to Mick, so... Which is actually kind of frustrating, because we we've said repeatedly about how he feels disconnected from the main plot for too much of the movie, so much of his scenes early on are just random Harry scenes for the sake of having Harry scenes. Mm-hmm. When you look at this part of it, you go, there actually is something to, for him to tackle that would actually be a challenge to his character, that yeah. he'd have to make this choice. And the, the choice he makes at the end would be a lot more impactful, sudden impactfully, you might say, uh is is um you know it it could be a central focus that would make him the central character of the movie Uh, or even or even if even if you do still keep jennifer as something more of a protagonist and you let harry be the secondary character it could still be fundamentally in the same way that um shawshank redemption like uh andy is absolutely the protagonist and the main character but the actual arc and redemption of the movie is not him. It's right. Morgan Freeman's character, Red, who's still, obviously, he's got a lot of screen time. He's still very much the second main character. But Andy's mm. absolutely the one we're following uh, throughout the film. And it's the yeah. other character who has the big, you know, it's, it's how they affect that second character. You could do that here with, with Jennifer and Harry, absolutely. It'd be a little different from the previous movies. But if they if they hit that, that story and arc and actually done it, that'd be great. Mm. As it is, Harry is just, you know, he's, he's questioning people involved. Uh, you know, after he, he arrests Mick at a certain point near the end mm. and takes him in. Uh, but the, the the brothers of the wife of the second victim, like, go and bail yeah. him out. And they're, like, his goons. So that there's, like, you know, three bad guys at the end, basically. They try and assassinate Harry. That's the third assassination attempt. <laughs> they throw him in the water. Of course, that doesn't kill Harry, though. Uh, that, yeah. That's when Harry decides to go back to his hotel. Finds out that his friend, uh, who came to visit him, uh, when he came, there's just one random scene where he goes to the hotel room and there's like someone waiting there uh, for Harry and decide to kill him instead. It was Mick and the two guys. It's yeah, Mick and the two guys, yeah. Uh, so they kill him. When he gets there, he sees him dead. He's like, damn it. Damn it. Horace, no. Another partner. I even have a partner in this movie and somehow they killed the partner. And of course, um, when he went into the water, they particularly made sure that they showed he was separated from his normal 44 man. Yes, yes. So he goes and gets his case out that we saw earlier on, which has got his yeah. new semi-auto uh, magnum. That's the, yeah. the big new weapon. 
I mean, obviously, yeah, it's very cinematic, you know, because the, the bad guys, Mick and these two cronies, are chasing Jennifer into the amusement park at the docks. And, like, they're, they've, they've got a hold of her, finally. And then they turn and they just see Harry standing there in silhouette because the... Yeah. I'm not sure why they're keeping all these lights on at the amusement park uh, when it's yeah. when it's closed. It feels like a waste of electricity to me, but you know, whatever. Uh, I mean, I'm I I would say those are okay, just like motion sensor floodlights or something. Maybe it's just too hard to turn off or not work. It's the not place. them. I'm though. fine with that. My my thing with this scene is that you have to remember that this was the first one that he directed himself. Yes. So he had to be like, all right. I want you to make me look as badass as humanly <laughs> possible. Yep. Because at no point in any prior movie has there ever been like a reveal moment where Harry shows up in the third act and like just wrecks shop. He's always been there leading oh, no, into the third no, act. No, that is, that is so not true. The first okay, movie on the bus, he's standing okay. on the overpass. That yeah, is absolutely an entrance. To be fair, that one slipped my mind. I'll give you that one. But yeah, so he gets this big entrance. Uh, he shoots the two cronies like instantly. Again, just opens fire without a care in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, he, they have to chase. They go through a carousel. They, the bat, yeah, Mick runs with Jennifer as he's hostage up the roller coaster. Yeah, I do want to say that this entire scene was predicated on like an equally long scene that was just Jennifer trying to dodge them. Yes. Like they, it was. We just had her. I believe she. How did it start? She was trying to kill Mick, but then they got the upper hand on her. I believe. No, no, no. It was she. She was. It oh, was, it was she, after the captain. Yeah, yeah. She, she was at the captain's house with the son, mm-hmm. and the captain's basically saying, "Hey, he did this awful thing, and I let it. I let it go, kind of unpunished at the time, because I didn't want people to find out my son was involved in this, and right. I'm sorry for that. But he, like, he couldn't live with it. He, he, he tried to kill himself. He's been left this way." you know, please don't kill him. And she, you know, she th- does effectively make the choice not to do it. Um, right. You know, uh, it's showing that she does have a line where there is, if not forgiveness, at least, you know what, he's, went, you know. But then Mick shows up with his cronies and they, they shoot the Because ca- the captain tries to help her. The captain tries to, like, mm-hmm. you know, take down Mick for her. Uh, yeah. So they, they get her there, but she runs away, yeah. So there's a whole big chase sequence with just them and her through the carousel and the amusement park. And I do want to point out, on this carousel... They make sure at the end of the scene to mm-hmm. hold on this one unicorn for like five <laughs> full seconds. They may as well have put up a title being like, get it? Get it? Okay, moving on. I mean, there's not much to say, really. You know, there's a bit of a standoff where Harry's down on the ground. They're up in mm-hmm. like part of the roller coaster. And he says, make my day. And he, you know, shoots Mick. He falls off the roller coaster, goes through the roof of where the carousel is, and lands on the unicorn, impaling himself. You know, and then the unit, and for some oh, reason the carousel st- turns on. I don't know why it turns on, but it turns on, and he starts going round. I think she turned it on. Did she not? Did she? I don't know. I don't remember. Like before they left, I think they just left it on. Oh, okay, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. If it was left on, it was left on. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that doesn't explain why all the lights are on. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still not, I'm still hung up in because this. Because who wants to go through an amusement park scene where none of the rides are actually working? <laughs> it's just. It's completely abandoned, and like it's because it's not just like there's like oh there's some security lights. So it's like every single like you know when you read a Batman comic, do you question why Amusement Mile is still on? <laughs> That's because Joker's keeping it turned on, obviously. Okay, 
Yeah. Easy. They this straight up said that she, the whole reason that she's spending her time at this carousel area is because she is restoring the carousel. So. Okay, okay. Well, the, uh, actually, just b b before the chase through all this starts, there's a mo the reason why she even gets away to have a chase is because mm -hmm. the, he's going to rape her again under the pier. He wants to do yeah. it again uh, with his two friends. Um, and she's able to like, kick him in the nads and you know, yeah, makes hit him in the face, it. kick him in the nuts, and runs off. Yeah. For a four minute chase scene. Oh, the other thing I actually want to say is I was wondering uh, when she was going to kill Ray, I was like, oh, is she going to shoot on the crotch? Because she's done that yeah. with all the guys. And she actually did change. She shot her on the boob <laughs> instead. Yeah. <laughs> she she shot her in the heart because that's oh. where her sin is. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking it was just a tip, but yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, and it's just on the head. So it's, it's, this whole, yeah. it's the whole thing. It's definitely the most satisfying one because the way, like, She's been such a vile character that, that that look in her face when she realizes that she's... Because her and Mick were kind of hanging out thinking, oh, she's going to shop, so we'll be together so that she can't take both of us. But Because right. that's the thing. like Jennifer's not this trained killer. She's just basically getting them all by surprise. That's how she's doing yeah. this. Uh, so, you know. Uh, but, yeah, that's it. Crime City, the movie, like, just the, the credits start rolling mm -hmm. right after Harry's, like, you know, let her go. Actually, the closest thing he kind of has to a partner other than uh, Horace is there's like a young cop that he technically saved in the first robbery in town Yeah, uh, that kind of feeds him like the evidence and stuff when the captain doesn't want him there anymore. Because mm. uh, they give him a little desk and like one little file that's on the desk. This is but, your workstation. But he can't be Harry's partner because he's alive at the end. That's true. So he's, yeah, so, so Horace is definitely more like the actual partner. Yep. For sure. Um. So with with all that said about the movie, mm -hmm. I was just looking online and I did come across an IMDb trivia <gasps> of this screenplay was originally written just to be a revenge killer flick for Sandra Locke. Ah. It didn't get any funding and so they revised the script and turned it into a Dirty Harry sequel. I, I think you can tell. I think you can tell mm -hmm. that this was a movie that then Dirty Harry got shoehorned into. Yeah. And... There's nothing necessarily wrong with repurposing a script into something like, you know, uh, the one that always comes to mind is uh, there was a script called Simon Says that got turned into Die Hard 3. And, right. you know, honestly, when you watch that movie, it's fine. Like, this was a great villain to like have John McClane go against. You know, it works. It doesn't feel shoehorned yeah. in. Mm -hmm. um, but this is a weird case where this was a revenge plot where the main character still has to be there and function as the main character of the plot. So Harry does feel just tacked on to the side of it. Um, yeah. Honestly, that, that that is the least surprising thing that you could have told me about this yeah. movie. It is also the highest-grossing film in the franchise. Oh, that's what. Well, that explains why the Deadpool got greenlit anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's well. So yeah, I mean, I I like I said, like based off that trivia, I like the plot. Like, the original story, the screenplay that existed prior to not getting funding... Yeah, that's what I'm I mean, sure... Yeah, going on yeah. revenge and, like... Yeah. Get, yeah. It's especially if the, if the stuff with the captain's son was still there and it was this, mm -hmm. like, okay, this is the one she's going to choose not to kill. I, I think that's a kind of a poignant little thing to have mm -hmm. towards the end, you know? Yeah, um, I mean, cl I, clearly a whole lot of it must have been changed to some extent. Like, Of course, yeah. In order to have the first 45 minutes be Harry. I, I, mean. I would suspect that in the original script, the captain probably lived and, like, he's the one who, like, lets her away with it, maybe, or something like that, mm. you know? Yeah. 
possible. I would, I honestly, I would just say the captain probably had a much larger role. Yeah, yeah, I enjoy, absolutely. I, I would suggest that there's probably a lot of things that were more of in the in mm-hmm. the town when it was just her plot. That, that really is the all of the killer or not the killers, all the rapists. They all got a little bit of time at the very least. Mick and Ray more so. They, they got they would have gotten way more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but when it comes to the police force, I feel like that stuff was the stuff that either was tacked on with Harry or was cut down so significantly in order to give Harry the first 45 minutes. Because, like, again, Harry comes into this town and he doesn't even say one word to the police captain before the captain's like, I'm just going to tell you straight up and out, my character is, I don't like you, get out of my town. (laughs) Yeah, I'd imagine that the captain would probably... We'd probably follow a fair bit of his story and maybe like after the second killing would be the moment he realizes who the victims are and mm-hmm. that'd be when he realized, oh, this is related to my son and you know, yeah, yeah. maybe And it probably would be the same sort of thing where you think the captain wants to bring the killer to justice but mm-hmm. in reality, he knows yeah. what's up. Yeah, it's, uh, so, it's interesting. Um, different timeline. Yeah, yeah. Uh it's, it's, it's so weird to go through a Dirty Harry movie and say, no, the vast majority of the Harry scenes feel tacked on and could be cut. Yeah. And even if you accept that he's there, some of them feel redundant and like there's like repeating things. That, like, even keeping the movie as it is, you could cut out like the second assassination attempt, you could cut out the opening courtroom mm-hmm. scene, you could cut out him getting the dog because it serves no purpose at all. Yeah. I mean, I was telling you beforehand in my notes here, I have a line that literally just reads, the dog farts. And yeah. that is the extent of what this dog... Technically, there is a scene where the dog alerts him to, like, a fourth assassination attempt <laughs> that we right. didn't even mention before. Oh, that's right. No, you're right. There's another one at the, ho- the motel, uh, or the hotel, earlier yeah. on. Uh, who ju- I think was the mobster who escaped from the earlier assassination attempt. I think that I think was so, that yeah. guy. I, I, so he I, followed him to San Paulo just to wrap up that plot. Yeah, so so we actually got a second attempt from the mob at, at the hotel, which Harry kills the guy, and I thought they weren't even going to mention it, which would be absurd, but the captain does bring it up, what happened at the hotel last night? And Harry doesn't answer the question, he just keeps talking about the subject he wants to talk about. And yeah. I'm like, you have to explain the dead body <laughs> that you have left in the hotel, Harry. No, 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 you forget at the end of the third movie, the mayor gives him a free pass for life. He can do whatever he wants now. <laughs> They're not in San Francisco. <laughs> Does it count? <laughs> That's the metropolitan area. It's fine. It's whatever. <laughs> Although they did explicitly say that the jurisdiction ends at the bridge. So yeah, I guess you're right. Oh, and the, yeah, in the second movie they said that, yeah. Mm-hmm. That may be something they've forgotten, though. Police extension of power. It's too much. <laughs> So overall, though, technically with this film, because we haven't really mentioned that, um, I don't think anything really stood out. I feel like cinematography, sound effect, like nothing really jumped out at me as... Uh, I will say it looks better than the third movie. The third movie felt like it wasn't even trying. I think this, at least in the kill scenes, at least in the first one, the first one is where I thought of Brian De Palma. I felt like I was watching a Brian De Palma. Not not as good, but I felt like I was watching something mimicking that sort of dark yeah that those were the moments that i was relating to kill bill where it was like every time that she came across the person for the first time Mm. it would just zoom in on her eyes give a quick little flashback to them doing the deed and then back into the scene i just imagined that (laughs) so 
I, there was some stylistic choice there. So yes, it did try more than Enforcer did, but it wasn't something that I think really stood out. Like none of the choices they made were like, wow, that was a really impressive shot or anything like that. It was uh, just, honestly, it all came together in the editing, I feel like more than anything. The first um, like five, 10 minutes, yeah, we got to see in the car. I, I was thinking, oh, this, this seems like it may be better than the last one. It feels like it's got a strong like intent like I, mm-hmm. I feel more from this than i did from that weird opening of the last one that was kind of like a mixed bag of like sex appeal and then like a psycho killer but he's not a psycho killer he's part of a militia like you yeah. know like i don't know it felt like it was, it was more of a st- but as it went on it felt obviously more bloated it felt more yeah. strenuous with the harry stuff so i think overall i would say objectively it is a little bit better from just some fundamentals compared to the last movie but right. it probably doesn't actually rate that much higher overall just because it, all these other problems it has are just too much as well to be anything particularly special. Yeah. Uh, not to say that I didn't enjoy a scene here or there or a moment here or there, but it's there's just not enough. I do want to say uh, the first Dirty Harry film specifically left us on a very strong note. Yeah. And we we've always wanted that but leaving on a strong note back and it quite it hasn't quite got there this movie i feel like left us on the weakest note out of all of them in that it ends on this strange song that doesn't fit the oh, tone yeah. of anything that came before it although i did notice actually i think i want to say it's when he's still in the city maybe it's just before he leaves the city actually and that's the point is uh he's walking away and it may, it may be at that 45 minute mark uh, mm-hmm. where this, the music that played at the end of at least the second movie, maybe the, the first and the second movie plays. Oh, did they bring back the score? Yeah, just a little bit of that score here. Okay. I just, it's got a really sort of, it's a really melancholic little piece. Uh, yeah. And I sort of noticed it, and maybe that was the movie saying, hey, this is where your regular Dirty Harry movie's ending, yeah. and we're going into this other stuff now. Which is an interesting choice. I Honestly, I'm, I'm kind of saddened going back and watching these again, because, like, you know, I, I was a bit harsher in Magnum Force than you were, and I do think it still has its mm. sort of more, it's more over the top than the first one and has some problems oh, yeah. being a sequel. But mm. it does feel head and shoulders better than the third and the fourth movie so far. Yeah. So it feels that we're kind of, we maybe have leveled off slightly because the problems in this are different than the last movie. So it, maybe we've stabilized into this is the quality, but I don't know. I've got a bad feeling about Deadpool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got a bad feeling at this point i mean this this was at least a good enough idea in concept for them to bring it out of retirement the next one is the one that kills it for good that's so... a good point that's a good point now it's possible it could be a good movie that just financially was not successful that, that yeah. happens entirely but odds are yeah odds, <laughs> odds are we're not going to be thrilled next time but uh I suppose we're at that point of the show where we're going to rate the movie (sighs) film. So, David, out of 10, what are you rating? Okay, so... Sudden Impact, specifically. Oh, Um, sorry, yeah, Sudden Impact. Sorry, I just said Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry, I I 100% gave a 8, and I stand by that. Um, This one... It is better than Enforcer. It is something that I sat down and I enjoyed more than Enforcer the whole way through. I think that it had, again, a better central plot. It had better uh, theme to it. Not that they really explored it, but it was something that at least I was paying attention to, whether they meant me to or not. So 
all in all, I'd say out of 10, this one gets a... I'm going to go with 6. I was, six. I'm de- I was bouncing between 6 and 6.5, but I'm going to go with 6 on this just because, it, yeah, it everything that I really liked about it is things that I did a lot of reading into. It's things that I mm. assume could be there just under the surface. It's not things that are actually presented in the film itself. It does still have just a bit more behind it than Enforcer did, but it by no means meets the previous two films before that in any regard. And especially, if I mean, I'm giving it a six in terms of single movie quality. If I were to rate this on how much of a Dirty Harry film it was, it would easily be like two to three points lower because it just <laughs> is not a yeah. like dirty hairy film. But I so. think you read every movie on its own merits rather than yeah. doing like a franchise curve per se. Uh, That's what our second rank is for. Kind, kind of, yeah. Uh, so I, I'm i going to go 5.5, um, okay. which is a half point higher than Enforcer because I do think it's objectively better. I think it's interesting that this has the opposite problem with its pacing and that the, the last movie was too short and felt like nothing really built up to anything. This movie feels too long and bloated, <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's yeah. it's kind of it's kind of wild that the it's the, the polar opposites um in that sense. Uh yeah um I just I think stronger focus, which is good. I like that it does try something different. Well, not that's the right thing for Dirty Harry finding out that it was a script for something else and just got sh- you know Harry shoehorned into it feels mm. very blatant. You know, in hindsight. Uh, oh yeah. You know, I could have maybe even guessed that if you'd sort of, like, led me down the right conversation path. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I'll go 5.5. Uh, definitely weaker than Magnum Force, which, because I, I will say this, a 6 to me versus a 5 and a 5.5, I think, well, obviously not in the... I, I still say 6 is somewhat enjoyable. There's something still enjoyable about a 6. I think once you That's get right. down to the 5 and 5.5, you're kind of in that very middle territory where... You're kind of just not coming out with any net positive at the end. I'm saying 5.5 because mm-hmm. I do think it's trying a little harder and does have a bit more merit than yep. Enforcer did. So. I mean, to be fair, I'm giving it a 6 for the exact same reasons you are, but I gave the last one a 5.5. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there you go. Uh, as for the second scale that we operate on, where I asked the simple Ooh. question, does it make the cut? And David Simple here, just question. to re- reiterate this from time to time for people, uh, maybe mm-hmm. I should do this for every first entry in a season, but I'll do it here yeah, as well. Figure it out. Uh, so uh, five options. A cut above, which is you know exceptional, amazing, you know, no questions. Makes the cut, yeah, worth having in the collection, uh, whether that means the collection in general or just your collection of if you want to collect the Dirty Harry movies. Uh, mm-hmm. Cutting it close, which is, eh, you know, it's on the line. Uh, cut from the collection or cut your losses, which is jettison it into the sun and nuke it from <laughs> orbit because it's the only way to be sure. Uh, which I don't suspect you're going to go that low on this one, but uh... <laughs> I don't know. I keep on picturing Meathead. That's it's there. Um, no. That's it. Okay. Do you know what? This is um, this is the opposite of John Rick Wick, where you're hoping the dog's going to get it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I was expecting he went into the room, saw Horace dead, and then he like goes into the bathroom and Meathead's just slumped over. And I'm like, oh, no. But now he has extra reason to care because Meathead's such an important character, right? But we don't have to talk about him ever again. And to be fair, after that Horace scene, they never do talk about him again. He is gone. Yeah. Me- Meathead, 
I feel like if he was supposed to be injured because the bad guys did something to him, I couldn't tell because he walks that way every time. I anyway. know. <laughs> I had the exact same thought. I'm like, is he limping? Is he just walking? I don't. All right. Anyway, this rating. Uh, I'm really, really in between cutting it close and cutting from the collection. Oh, and uh, just to reiterate this, because we're still remembering this ourselves. This is a yes. joint thing where we will yes. settle on one between us. We have so. to we have to decide. So if I really was collecting the Dirty Harry films and I had one and two at this point because we collectively decided three wasn't worth it, would I say come back and get four? And I'm going to have to say no. I think that it's cut from the collection. I agree. It's a cut. Yep. Cut it. There's... There's just not enough to it, especially if you're looking at it from a strictly I want Dirty Harry films. Why would you think this would be the one yep. that would make it back? I think it's the not... only sequel so far that's worth... I mean, I, I, I wasn't even on a... Keep it, I, I was on a, you know... Uh, I was. I think I was more cutting it close on Magnum Force mm-hmm. uh, in my scale, but that's the only sequel I think is worth uh, really watching. I think The Enforcer is still a Dirty Harry movie, but it's just not good enough. And then yeah. this one is just kind of murky quality wise as well but also not really feeling like a dirty harry movie so yeah. i just it's, it's hard to to recommend on that level um yeah. but it is like we said it is technically as overall a better movie than the enforcer but does oh, yeah. have other mm-hmm. problems so yeah right. well there you go cut from the collection collection womp womp it's gone all right, so there you go. Uh, that is the episode. That is Sudden Impact. Obviously, we uh, have one final entry in the Dirty Harry franchise to go. Oh, boy. Uh, we've done four movies so far. We also did the bonus episode that you get on Patreon. Uh, mm-hmm. At the lowest tier, uh, you can get uh, our bonus episodes. We did The Gauntlet, which is another Clint Eastwood 70s cop movie. Um, so we got one left, and then we're on to our next theme, uh, which is another yep. franchise, a smaller franchise. Uh, but we will let you know at this juncture that it is the Santa Claus. <laughs> We're going to do all three Santa Claus movies, and then the bonus movie for Patreon to go alongside that in December is going to be another Tim Allen Christmas movie. <laughs> it's Christmas with the Cranks. Oh boy. Ooh, oh no. Hooray. So that's uh, December's festive season. Uh, and I'm telling you that now because uh, we want to, like every other uh theme or franchise let yeah. our patrons vote at the voting tier uh, on what the next one will be so right now but uh in fact, not even right now by the time this goes up the vote will be done already uh but there was yeah. a vote in patreon so you have to <laughs> if you're a patron you have to keep an eye on it uh, for the on the twitter and on the discord and on the patreon itself for when the because the collector's cut vote because we get a little ahead in recording is quite mm. far far out in advance so there was a vote in the first week or two of november uh for what will come after the santa claus movies so yes you actually might know right now what won that we don't because i've not even put the vote up yet for patrons but i'm doing that tomorrow <laughs> so <laughs> so i hope something cool won <laughs> yeah if i, I can i mean I can, I'll, I'll say what the options are even though they've already voted but uh yeah. for anyone who's like you know discovering this show later and listening to the episode you get an idea of what the the choices were uh, yeah. So the three choices are no franchises, because we want to make it clear that it's not always going to be a franchise. Sometimes it will be mm-hmm. themes of things. So the three three options that are in the vote uh, is a, a season of Tarantino movies, obviously Tarantino-directed yeah. movies, uh, a season of Jim Carrey movies, which is a follow-on from our next movie, because Jim Carrey's got a small role in the Deadpool. 
itty bitty so that's option number two and then option number three is 70s disaster movies uh so uh, all make some sense uh they'll all be a month to a month and a half long each some of them are big enough in terms of how many of their options there are that there'll be potential volume twos uh down mm-hmm. the line but those are the three options like i say you'll probably know it's one already by the time you get this episode yep but don't spoil it for us <laughs> i mean we'll know as well with the time this goes yeah. up i'll know before they do Maybe I'll withhold it just so they get this episode and I'll be, ah, ha, ha, I know the winner. <laughs> no? Okay. I mean, go ahead. Go ahead and withhold it from me just so I get to see the live reaction on screen. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that is a plan for some things to come. And plus, you know, I wanted to have three good options because I feel like obviously the Santa Claus is not like a serious franchise. You know? Are you telling me that is not an Archer's work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh it's a tits work oh. ah, nah, but, uh, I, I have fond enough i've never seen the sequels i have fond enough memories of the first one as a kid but i don't know if it's going to hold up i have very fond memories of the first one but it's been so long however the second one i feel like played on repeat <laughs> like everywhere i went i know every beat of that story okay. third one never seen i've never seen the second or the third uh okay. so that'll be an interesting a little discovery but uh there you go that's what's coming up uh on the show of course like i said patreon you can get the bonus episode every month uh over there and you can of course uh get bonuses for our other shows that we have uh, on the movie channel male fuzz movies has screams after midnight the horror podcast you can get a bonus episode um and a second monthly show with that one uh where me and tim just talk about the random horror movies we watch uh, there's also the science fiction podcast, uh, the Atomic Cinema Experiment that I do with Tara. Again, there's a bonus episode for that every month and a second show every month where we just talk about what movies we've been watching. Um, will there ever be a second thing for Collector's Cut? I don't know. I don't know what it would be, but uh, one day maybe. I don't know. Um, maybe if David has some sort of idea at some point. It's where we sit and just talk about how Marvel killed the franchise. <laughs> just every week just keep doing that once a month come on now <laughs> don't give me too much work so uh yeah go over to patreon.com slash tv and uh if you want to support all the content and get some bonuses that's where you can do it you can also support us by hitting the super thanks button on youtube or you can do all the free stuff if you know if you can't give us money that's cool too you can comment like subscribe ding the bell for notifications spread us out on the twitters at screams midnight for the twitter for the channel uh, of course, you can rate the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Give us five stars and a review. And uh, generally, uh, just, you know, share, spread the word and click the buttons and watch all the content. All those things help us out a lot. So Share uh, it with your mom. Please do. Yes. Sh- share it with your, your mother. I'm tempted to crack a joke here and say something mean about everyone's mother, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure your mother's lovely. Yes. Is that is that a new haircut? It looks great. <laughs> so yes uh, and I will just wrap up by thanking our Patreon producers for the month thank you to Tyler Hess Cindy Palacios Bordnow Christopher Moy David Brown Al Treisman and Alison M. Fordyce uh, they are some of our higher tiered patrons uh, but thank you to all of our patrons thank you to everyone who watches the show we always appreciate it keep watching movies and if you see that subscribe button or better yet that Patreon button go ahead make my day <laughs> 